Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we will cover agile localization practices for service-based organizations. Online platforms that offer services such as food delivery, ride-sharing, and other task-based services constantly have to keep content fresh and up-to-date in order to keep their users informed, educated, and make them feel safe. To speak to me about agile localization practices in this space, I have invited once again Adelina Christoval from Walt. Adelina Christoval is the product localization lead at Walt and has been in this role since September of 2022, where she manages localization across a variety of markets. Prior to that, she worked at Trivago and served as head of localization program complemented by such roles as agile facilitator and mentor after having started as localization project and team manager and team leader. And before that, she worked in a variety of localization management positions at Intercontact. She's a seasoned localization professional with very deep understanding of the localization market. She is based in Düsseldorf, Germany. Uh, Adelina, let me welcome you to the Translation Company talk again. How are you? Hello. Doing well, thank you. Um, how I'm are you glad doing? to hear that. Very well, very well. Thank you. Uh, Adelina, it's so good to have you back on this podcast after a smashing interview a couple of months ago and you talked about the German market. People loved it. And for people listening to you for the first time, can you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Thank you for having me back, Sultan. It was a pleasure for me too. Um, so yes, my, my name is Adelina. Um, I work as a product localization lead at Vault. At the moment, I've been doing this role since September and taking a big pleasure out of it uh, to develop the localization process for Vault at the moment. I have been in the in a similar role in the past as well, developing localization processes and programs, and also focusing on the output um, of localization processes in the past, and basically just been in this industry for over 20 years, having started as a translator, uh, which allows me to have a very nice view um, of all of all of the seats in the localization industry and all of the ways of actually impacting um, localization, but also the globalization effort of, of companies. Uh, how has the, the year been so far for you as an enterprise localization leader? The year has been quite interesting. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm actually starting my year at September, which is when I joined Vault and it marks the difference between what I was doing before. So since then I have been uh, actually looking at this at this company, which is already quite, quite big and uh, coming out of a startup basically to a much more mature setup and trying to build a localization uh, program for these uh, teams and for all of the product landscape that this company actually has. So this has been quite challenging because the localization effort has been ongoing. It didn't start with me, so there was already a process in place and some solutions in place. Um, When I was invited to manage them, obviously now I have to somehow make sure that things keep working while creating a new structure on the go. And this is quite a challenge, um, trying to understand needs, 
but also pain points and the expected solutions and making sure that somehow all of this finds a way to work together. So that's quite interesting. Well, you've come a long way in, in developing that, and I'm sure as, as a leader in lo localization space, uh, what you do and will be documented and, and do best practices shared with the rest of the industry today in our interview. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Um, as a follow-up to our last interview, Adelina, how is the German localization market performing this year compared to Q1 of last year? Uh, well, in, in comparing to Q1 of last year, um, I really don't have data because it's not that easy to find like specific data to see that. Um, but if we look at the uh, if we look at the um, at the indexes of the industry, we can see that there are more German companies um, in the index of the localization companies growing in revenue. So I would say that this is a good a good sign for the development of the German localization market, both in terms of um, the companies that want to come into Germany, but also uh, the companies in Germany that want to go out outside of the market. Adelina, today we are going to be covering uh, an important yet not much discussed topic. Enterprises have moved away from large, chunky localization orders to agile and always flowing localization frameworks. You are obviously championing this in your organization. I think this is something that you have expertise in as well and practice it on a daily basis. Please describe at a high level, Adelina, how agility is architected for localization at enterprise level. Yes, agility and localization was a great thing to do. Uh, starting looking into this for several years now, uh, before it was a, a tend actually, a, or a tendency or a trend. But yes, uh, figuring out how localization can serve best best serve industry and also project management, which is a little bit a, a, a related topic, uh, was an interesting journey. But I could say that I, in, in terms of the enterprise, agility comes or is implemented through the process as a lot of things. In this case, it's something we call and everybody knows about, which is the continuous localization process. This is one of the ways, which just means that we don't need to wait for things to be, let's say, bundled um, or you know, collected in the pool somehow, and that given a specific date, we send it out. And we also don't need to insist that uh, or source content or source copy has the exact and the final and the best possible quality before we start the localization process. I mean, this is always ideal that copy is final, but this is not a realistic expectation anymore. And even if copy is final today, tomorrow something may change somewhere outside and we need to change the copy anyways. So these are the two things that we don't need to insist or wait for anymore as localization managers. A, that copy is completely final before we start and B, um, that it is that it is uh, that a certain amount of copy or content is created until we can actually kick off the localization process. Um, so this is this is one way of uh, creating agility for localization in an enterprise. Uh, the second is actually on the output side, making sure. So how can we make sure that the output is meeting requirements or is meeting expectations or uh, is meeting a specific standard that we have defined as quality, which is always the quality is always this movable term. And also here agility can help us um, if we don't if we don't consider the output as final as well. So the, the final output is only final on that second, but it can change. So either it changes because again copy needs to change. So something legal changed or there was an event in the world and we need to change copy and uh, this makes the output change again. And also secondly, the standard this quality measurement also is changing and it changes very quickly. So what appeals to a customer on one week may not appeal on the next. And we need to also uh, take this into consideration 
and expect it and be ready to react in case some of some of these changes happens. Um, meaning that direct user feedback is also a friend of a of the agile localization process. So if we have these two things in place, like the, the mindset that yes, copy may change, and let's hear what the, the use the direct user or customer is saying, and be able to implement this quickly in the process of localization, then I think we can talk about having an agile an agile process uh, able to continuously flow and to adjust to any changes that are required by the outside world. How is content for a service-based organization um, different from a product-based platform such as Amazon, which deals with e-commerce solution for tangible goods, for example? Well, it's, I think it's similar to, to what I just said. A service is all about the user experience. Uh, we want to provide a service that makes people happy or provides a solution for a need or a problem to satisfy something that, that they need. So in this case, we need to actually always be um, able to um, to change and to shift what we what we are producing in terms of localization to be able to meet that need or to solve that problem. Um, I think in terms of cons- um, in terms of a consumer good company like you mentioned Amazon, it's in, Amazon might even be a, a mix of both, right? I mean they also provide services. Um, in term, but in terms of con, of of, con, of a consumer company, uh, the goods don't change that much. So they have a, a description, and they have uh, they have a, a sort of requirements and things that they do. And this is more uh, stacked. This is less dynamic. It's more static than than working on the on the server side. Given that every piece of content uh, going through the enterprise, you know, that creative publishing pipeline that you have, it it gets adapted in specific ways, such as marketing texts follow one approach, whereas technical content or HR content go through a different workflow. How do you make sure that the process can be agile and responsive for all of these different business units? Yeah, that, there is where technology is our friend. Uh, if we are able to identify all of the sources of content, then we are able to create, a, uh, to use a tool, a translation management software or a CAT tool uh, that uh, serves as an interface and is able to grab different contents from these different sources, ideally in an automatized way. And then uh, driving these content through the dif- different processes or flows that have been predefined. Also, that would be in my in my view one of the best ways of actually catering to all of these content types. First, understand what they are, where they are, and who originates them, and then use a tool to actually grab it, send it to the right flow, and then send it back after everything is done. And do they all need to be agile, or some of them could be used in a traditional workflow manner? Well, they can be done manually, but that is definitely not the way to go, I would say, I think they should all be agile and they can be all agile. We talked about the size of localization assignments earlier. Uh, please elaborate on, on what extra work should be done to ensure consistency and harmony in language. Yes, uh, a style guide. So there are global requirements coming from the business strategy that need to be known and communicated to linguists. And then we can create a version of that global strategy or requirements uh, for each language or for each locale via style guides. So this is something that we uh, need to have in place from the beginning because this is where the trends translators or the linguists get their instructions from and where they can make decisions based on. And when we want to make changes to the output, first thing to do is to make a change to the style guide and then this will 
allow the linguist to, to create the change that we want. Adelina, most service-based organizations such as Walt, where you work, they have to address users' communication needs that are very unique and customer experience is, of course, at the heart of everything and it's critical in that sense. Things such as a screen real estate on desktops, tablets, mobile devices, uh, shelf life of content such as discount that is valid for a few hours of the day, and other factors play a critical role in how you grab the user's attention and keep it. Now, when it comes to localization, how does it play a role to ensure maximum impact and success in this sense? I think it's the same. I mean, we need to really, it's not, we cannot, in localization, we cannot use one formula and apply it to everything. We just need to be able to understand what needs to be localized, why, to what purpose. Uh, what is, for example, what is the, the user journey where this content is going to be used, or even more, what is the specific user journey stage where this content can be used and apply different uh, a different way in the style guide to address this kind of, of content. So we need to identify what we are localizing, what does it require in order to be success successful, and what do linguists need to do in order to meet that. Um, and ideally, in the end, have a way of actually controlling or monitoring or getting an understanding if the content is actually performing how it should, which, again, requires that we know how it should perform, that we have a specific metric that we can observe, and ideally have a way of understanding how the user is reacting to this content, and then, again, be able to act or to react very quickly in order to change it. So it's like this entire um, ecosystem that needs to be working um, in order to make it to make it happen properly. There's, that's one of the reasons why I feel that even knowing what we know now about machine translation and even more about AI, which is not which we cannot ignore, that even if it works very well on this transactional perspective, yes, it translates, yes, it translates accurately, but can it also do the other things that I just mentioned? Uh, when we look at agility, uh, where content is constantly flowing, what does it mean for upstream processing of content? So before it comes to localization, what type of work gets done? As you mentioned earlier, um, in terms of the copy editing or creating the copy and adapting, are, are there things that can be done to make it easy for localization in terms of content engineering? Definitely. The, the work upstream the, or the upstream work is extremely important, uh, not disregarding that we expect that things are not perfect or that they change, but the first copy to be sent into translation needs to have an intention. So it needs to be have, serve a, a specific purpose and be considered done by the originators. Um, that, that being said, yes, I mean, writing the, the, grammar, the grammarly correctness, the style, the tone on the voice, knowing what it's intended for, and if it's a part of a website, making sure that from um, the technical side, uh, if we are writing a UI, right, for user interface, uh, that we consider all the internationalization good practices, that we know what needs to be considered in that case, uh, and that we have the right placeholders in order to make sure that dynamic uh, copy like dates, um, currencies, uh, time, but even thing, things like links, um, at least this, this would be the basic, that this is considered in the way that the copy is written. So a technical copywriter would know how to do this. A typical UX copywriter, maybe not. So this is a skill that should 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 be maybe should, should be integrated in this in this process to make sure that we know how to write our placeholders and that we know what is coming out of them and how this impacts copy uh, yeah not to mention one very typical aspect of things pluralization that we know how this is how the behavior is in the languages and that we have a way to actually do this autom automatically so that pluralization is in place 
where it should be. How about downstream activities in terms of post-processing? Uh, how does that change to accommodate agile and continuous content flow in an ubiquitous fashion across all channels? Yeah, that, 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 is, that is a good point. That maybe agility in that aspect, uh, I've tried that. Um, it's, a, it's a manual effort to have people checking, for example, the, out, the end outputs of the languages in the layouts before it gets released. This is quite manual. It could have an impact on release time. Um, it can be done, of course. We could do it in an agile way as well if we have a flow. So if we have a tool that allows this to flow, and if we have a lot of, uh, if we have a, a good working relationship with the stakeholders in that part of the process, that that is, it's possible. We can replace it with something that is a little bit more risky, which is direct user feedback. So exposing users to what we produce and then expect their feedback to make proper changes so that we don't over-engineer something or that at least we over-engineer only after knowing if this is really relevant. Because um, this final part of actually testing the layout, all of the languages is a bit, um, it, it takes some time and some effort to, to do. So it's a consideration, it's a decision. Adelina, I would like us to shift our focus on relationships. Obviously, an enterprise like Wult will have certain internal capabilities, uh, such as your localization team, but also external capabilities like vendors that process that content. Uh, what are the expectations from such stakeholders to manage um, an agile content flow to make sure everyone is on board and, and it's an uninterrupted flow for everybody? Yes, one of one of the first expectations or one of uh, one thing that is really important to have is that the vendors are able to actually support a continuous localization flow, uh, which they are in theory when it comes. But then when it comes to very little content or a very low volume, this is what I meant. So when the volume is very low, this can actually block the continuous flow from on the vendor side. Um, for reasons that have to do with the external translators that work for them as well on their side. So when, when we have like just two words that need to be translated or localized, this causes a cost uh, or it, it, it takes effort and, may, and then we have the minimum, the minimum charge that is in place whenever we have a little volume of things to do. This adds costs. So this is one of the big blockers that I see on the vendor side in order to enable a, a true continuous workflow. The minimum charge um, for low volumes up to a certain place because this forces us to do what I just said bef before that is not a friend of, of agile of an agile flow which is the bundling so then it forces us to bundle and to wait um, and that's not what we are looking for what we're looking for is that as soon as something is created it can go into the flow it gets translated and gets sent back um, without worrying about bundling or if, if small or small volumes will create higher costs which obviously in practice doesn't really make a lot of sense. I understand where this is coming from, but maybe we can rethink this <laughs> um, and do it differently. Absolutely. I get it. And, and as in our company, we have the same situation where we also, as a supplier, basically, we have to deal with minimum yeah. charges. But we have decided that for clients that are continuously working for us, we have removed it. Uh, minimum charge. So basically, we assume that the amount of content at the end of the month is what we should be billing for, not on a per assignment basis. I think that's how agility can be supported. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. I fully agree that if you come once, sure, then it's fine. But if you continuously have a connection, and this is being done day in, day out, week in, week out, then yes, then it should 
it should I mean I think that's a good approach and a good perspective on things enable the customer to do that. Uh, I would assume that automation in the form of machine translation neural machine translation you mentioned to it earlier um, robotic process automation and so on can help take some of the load and dynamically route content based on the type and nature as we talked about earlier whether it's marketing HR or whatever how do you define these protocols for automation do you have a playbook for how deep automation should be integrated into your workflow I don't have the playbook yet. This is something that's work in progress. But yes, the the usage of automation in the sense of machine translation, having an engine to, to provide machine translation, it's a decision. Um, I mean, there are companies already using machine translation for the entire content, even for copy on the UI. Um, that's, an, that's an interesting approach. I haven't studied that a lot yet. But... Um, Generally speaking, or up until now, what companies do is that they decide what is the content, A, that is suitable from its nature to be uh, run through an engine, um, and B, then we also decide based on either volume, if it's a huge volume and it cannot be done in a different way um, because of cost and also time, right? But also, if it's not a matter of cost and money, or at least if it's not a matter of volume, let's put it like this, um, and it's just a matter of having efficiency or even having um, a, a less costly solution for a specific part of the content that is not considered as valuable for the business as maybe other types of content. So it's either um, volume-based or value-based, basically. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. Back to vendors. I see that there is a significant shift in the type or size of localization orders that they process. Uh, what can they do to be better perform in terms of uh, localization and handling your smaller chunks of text that may have less repeatability in structure? You mentioned that cost is kind of an obstacle right now, but what else is blocking um, to, to develop that agility with smaller chunks of content? Well, smaller pieces of content obviously uh, pay less to a vendor. It's not a content small is small pieces is not what the vendor is aiming for. It's not the the, yeah, the ideal order, which doesn't mean that this is not high value content for the company, so for the org, for the customer, right? Maybe we need to rethink this relationship between um, value of the content um, and volume. So and the volume is not like there is not a big chunk of volume every week but over a year for example there is a lot uh, and if there is a relationship with a vendor it builds and when there is new content it also comes but when it's just small volumes at a time it doesn't make the content as desirable as if i say i have like 10 million words it's not the same as if i have oh i have 200 words a week <laughs> and then obviously then there's a difference um, in terms of the desirability of the content. So uh, Adelina, in your role as a localization manager or leader, uh, what are your thoughts about um, the cost? We talked about the cost of localization in the context of agility and uh, how small uh, pieces of content actually adds up. Um, but we are looking at the con in the context of rapid uh, response, uh, content transformation. Do you feel that enterprises have to spend more to ensure just-in-time content delivery across multiple locales? Can it be made possible? Do you think that vendors have to deal with more complexity, uh, not just cost, but more complexity in order to support agility? Well, 
Um, the idea is not to remove the strain of, let's say, enterprises and put the same and put this strain on the vendors. The weight needs to be carried equally somehow. Otherwise, at some point, the relationship will not be meaningful for both, right? It needs to remain valuable for both sides. When this situation comes or when something like this comes, I think the best is to start negotiating and really understand what is important for one side, what is important for the other, and how can we actually reach a point where this is a satisfying relationship for both sides. I wouldn't bluntly say that, yes, in order to support orgs, vendors need to do whatever it takes, because that generally doesn't bring success and joy and happiness. So I would find a way of making sure that, yes, we get it quickly and continuously, even our small content or copy is done quickly and continuously. What does the vendor need in order for, for to make this happen in a way that is also that is also meeting their own needs and interests. So, so that's that's what I would suggest. Adeline, let me ask you about the value of uh, localization uh, in terms of agility. Is there a unit of measure to determine the value of a piece of content in terms of dollars or any other commodity? For example, uh, let's say, uh, what is the content cost for one paragraph for an enterprise? And to, to, to build on that, what is the ROI for that one paragraph? How much that ROI would rise if that one paragraph of text is localized into X number of uh, locales or languages? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, it says if there is a unit of measurement, but what, what you suggest is already, uh, is, is already the basic of the, of the reasoning, right? So if we have a, a paragraph only in English, maybe it doesn't cost a lot. But also the ROI is not very big because only English English speaking English speaking users can actually use it and access it. That we need to also spend a little bit more money or invest, right? Because this is not a cost; it's an investment that we invest in making this paragraph accessible to users, not only in other countries, but also speaking other languages. And then the value of the user uh, is a part of the uh, ROI of the translation or the localization of that paragraph. So how much is a new user worth for the company? Um, and that, that would be the question. And is it worth investing a, a bit of the available resources to actually get the paragraph translated? And the uh, opposite question, what's the cost of opportunity of not doing that? In the past, content had an intrinsic reuse value. Today, it does in the form of translation memory in the context of localization. But given the disparate nature of agile content, has the reusability index and the value drop? I would say yes. Um, not, I would say yes because of the reusage uh, potential is still there. So the same, using the same words in the same languages, yes. But it is very possible that the context changes and that we re can reuse the English copy, for example. But we need to readjust the languages because the content just the context just changed either because it's a different channel or a different part of the user journey or even uh, because the different countries that we are applying it um, as before or even the 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 cultural awareness of the country changed over the years that people now prefer different things and that we need to change tone or voice so it could very well be that we need we can or we should actually reuse the content but still make adaptations if we notice the context changing. Um, so it's not a one-to-one -one like maybe it was in the past at some point. Back to vendor opportunities for them that they have not yet realized in terms of capabilities. Yes, if orgs evolve, vendors need to evolve as well. And agility, um, agility actually provides 
if we as organizations managers allow more changes to the source copy, this obviously means that there needs to be more changes also to the um, target copy. And if we are just very sub being unflexible about no, we cannot change the English copy, we need to reuse it as it is, but say yes, change it please according to whatever is necessary and we will retranslate. This is an opportunity. Even if the if even if the volumes are little and we just keep retranslating things that have been done in the past, obviously this adds um, opportunities for the vendors to also retranslate, even if it's only changed based on the context, which means in terms of translation memory, that it stops being um, uh, free and it has a cost associated because we take it out of the IC, for example, and need to put it under 100% or 75 or something. So the, the matching changes, and this means that suddenly this content has a cost associated and before it didn't. So yes, I think that agility provides an opportunity for everybody. I'm sure you talk to other localization managers and, and the community at large. Is there a common standard or best practices set of guidelines that enterprises must follow for effective agile localization for their content? Or it's basically everyone has built their own uh, set of processes that work best for them? I would keep saying it's the latter. I don't think that there is like a, a playbook for everybody to drink from. There are several ways of getting information and I'm sure that several people use the same sources, but it's their own choice. It's like they make this decision that maybe um, agility was not born in the localization industry, was not even born in the project management industry. It was born in software development, right? Uh, but it makes a lot of sense to use it for localization because localization is a part of product development anyway. So if the, the development team is very agile and then localization is not, then localization becomes a blocker. So I think that we all people in the localization industry just have a lot of um, knowledge about everything. So we, we are people that know a little about a lot of things. Generalists, if you want, in that sense. Um, which is great because we keep learning and we understand that there is a gap and we go and learn everything about it and then try to use it in the best possible way for our orgs. So localization managers are the best. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are, of course. No question about that. Let me hear from you, Adelina, about the perspective of translators and linguists with regard to agile content. It means handling small amounts of work at a short deadline and the type of translation they're used to or taught in school where content was always sized in thousands of words or hundreds of pages is not the norm anymore. Uh, how have they adapted and what do they think about agile localization? Yes, yeah, so that is a good question. I was, a, I was a translator back in the days, but still when it was like you initially described, so when it was not agile. And at this point, I would, I would say that uh, everybody in industry understood that we need to adjust quickly. Um, in, in the case of freelance translators, when we have the minimum charge, which is often also a requirement that, min, that freelance translators have to their vendors, right, to the companies that they work with, and this is a way of protecting themselves. Um, maybe this is something still from the past that might be rethought. Um, that maybe this shows that there is still a little adaptation that is necessary. Again, like I said before, we don't want to do this at cost of vendors, and we also don't want to do this at cost of translators. And, even less on freelance translators. But maybe this is also an invitation to, to recheck um, if there is anything more that we could do in order to move towards um, collaborating more closely for the sake of uh, agile localization, which in the end will bring more work towards people, even if in less volumes 
at a time, and even if we want to have it quickly, um, if if our terminal time is is very short, and which should actually mean like 24 hours, something like this, which is something that I didn't mention before, that's also a blocker. So <laughs> there should be an SLA that no, nothing above below 200 words, it cannot take three or four days. It's just not, it's just not possible. As we reach the end of this conversation, Adelina, can you please share a few words uh, of advice for our industry, both on the supply and buyer side, to better prepare for this shift and how we process agile localization of content? Yes, I think we just need to keep talk, talking to each other and really understand what is needed, what we need from both sides. And like I said before, not so people working in the, in, in the industry, I mean, on the org side, we should not expect that the weight and the effort is carried by our vendors, our suppliers, which are our best friends. Um, also not by translators, finding ways of making this, this work for everybody, uh, keeping everybody's interests at heart so that we can grow and develop all together. I guess that's what it's all about. And with that, we reach the end of this interview. I'm so happy, Adelina, that we got to speak again and cover this important topic. I think you're a pioneer and a leader in this space and sharing your experience and thoughts in developing an agile responsive localization framework helps our industry colleagues think in those lines and improve how they implement localization in their organizations. I hope we can talk about this subject in the future and I want to thank you for your time and for sharing your perspective with the industry today. Thank you. This is a topic that I, I'm really passionate about. Uh, really like it and I want to really thank you for having me over to talk about this and uh, it was really my pleasure. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. Localization has evolved from a linear function where long bodies of text were translated over an extended period of time to real-time response and information sharing in the form of small bits of content. We have recently heard from Smith Ewell, CEO of WeLocalize, as well as John Fenley, CEO of LineBridge, on how workflows have evolved to respond to this change of trend in localization. Enterprises have learned that real-time and agile localization allows them to serve their customers and users in a much better and timely fashion. There will always be demand for large linear translation and localization deliverables such as books, product manuals and other large bodies of text. However, it is important to take the bigger picture into account. Translators and LSPs alike must be ready to adapt to a changing nature of localization in which technologies such as neural machine translation and generative AI, such as ChatGPT, could take off a big chunk of the localization load, allowing human expertise for supervision or processing of intuition-demanding tasks where subjectivity plays a key role in defining context. We must embrace the shift to agile and responsive localization. This is the only way, as an industry, that we can power global reach for enterprises. There you have it. This episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast comes to an end. There was a lot of learning for me and I'm sure you also found a few key takeaways that you could apply to your business. As always, thank you for listening and keeping an open mind. Remember, only the agile can leap forward in our next industrial revolution. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice and promote this episode by sharing it on social media, giving us a like or thumbs up or adding your comments. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.